This podcast was brought to you by the Tampa Bay Podcast Network. Hey, my lovely drumsters. Welcome back to another episode of The Little Drummer Girl. I'm your host, Dawn Marie Mutel, and today we have a special guest from across the pond in the UK. Anna Clements is here with us today to talk about audiobook narrating. For any of you who may be interested in doing voiceover work, whether it's commercials or even if it's in corporate or if it's a book that you want to get involved with doing, she is going to drop some pearls of wisdom here today. And Anna had worked in the corporate world for a long time, for over 20 years, and she is a founder of the Audio Book Club on Clubhouse. So if you are interested, definitely want to go to Clubhouse and check her out there because every week she teaches sessions on the topic of narrating. And she has a lot of insight to the needs and the stumbling blocks of narrating. And her work spans from historical fiction to modern romance, steampunk, and nonfiction. So she's got a lot to cover. And so I don't want to hold anything up and I want to get you guys started and make sure you take some good notes because she will teach you a lot today. So without further ado, here's Anna. Anna, I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. How did you get started as a book narrator? So my, my story is a, a relatively long one, I'm afraid. I uh, At 19, I wanted to be a singer. And uh, I didn't want to be famous. I just wanted to use my voice to earn a living. And I told my parents and they said, oh, you have to be really good to do that. And so I took that to mean that I wasn't meant for that life. And I went to university, studied economics, got a job in an office. I'm Spanish by birth. And so I worked at the Spanish embassy, got into finance, spent 20 years you know, working in offices, uh, got married, had two children and went, hang on a second. This wasn't how this was supposed to work out. Uh, and so I started getting involved in uh, singing. I took classical singing lessons for five years and started messing around with microphones at home, started doing a couple of online courses. Uh, this is about six years ago now. Um, got interested in acoustics and sound and why recording in your bathroom isn't the same as recording in a sound booth um, and how you can make your voice sound better or worse. Uh, things you can do electronically and things you can do technically to make your voice sound different. Um, and it just became this ongoing fascination and the hobby of two or three years of studying critical listening, vocal production became too much of an interest and further to my divorce became a full-time job. So I started in VO, in corporate VO. I do a lot of internal onboarding of, of employees. So teaching people about how the company works, telling clients about where the company's going, sort of the finances for the year and those sorts of things. And audiobooks was almost by mistake, but it was just an, another extra. So there are, there are many facets to VO. You can do radio imaging, you can do movie promos, you can do uh, trailers, you can do commercial, you can do audiobooks. And they all have, a, I thought a voice was a voice, but actually they all have very different personalities. And audiobooks was just a fit for me. The long form narration meant that I was self-directing, self-motivated, self-occupied, uh, you know, and I was really happy to kind of take a project on board, run with it, produce it and hand it back. Uh, and that has really worked for me. And I think that's been the, I still do a lot of corporate work, but uh, the audiobook work just fits my personality. 
That's amazing because I didn't realize that there really is a lot of different ways that you can make money using your voice. So when you work for something, say like in a corporate environment, how do you actually get the uh, the gig? Do you have an agent that helps you get the work or is it you go out soliciting? It's mostly soliciting, sadly. It's it's very much the, the freelance life. It's selling yourself to people. and But actually, that's been the journey for me, that moving from corporate world into the freelance world was a really big change and a much bigger change than I imagined. Not having a constant income, not having somebody else provide for me at the end of the month because I turned up every day. Um, in this job, you can turn up every day and not make any money. Uh, and oh. that's confusing. Learning that auditioning is the job and learning to audition and step away, not follow it up, chase it, go, but why didn't you give the job to me? Um, all those sorts of things was a really new world for me. But what I didn't realize worked in my favor is that coming from the world of business, being in voiceover, whether it's audiobooks and being a creative is a full-time business. And it isn't just about performance. It's about the marketing, the strategy, the focus, the long-term goals, making sure you have enough money to pay your taxes at the end of the year. There are so many things involved within the business and you're wearing all of those hats. You are every, every part of the company is you. Um, and it's really hard sometimes not to take everything personally. When I audition for a book and don't get it, I'm often confused as to why, because it was a great book and I loved it and I did a great job in that audition. Oh. And so that concept of realizing that not every voice or not every face suits every project, it became easier for me when I realized that I wasn't selling myself. I was selling a product. Ultimately, my voice is a product of all my years of experience and my entire life. And that's what makes me, me. It's what makes me good for any particular project. So when I'm not selected for a particular project, it's because it wasn't a good fit. Whether it was because the author preferred somebody else or just didn't like me is irrelevant. The two things are actually the same. Ultimately, I didn't get the job. But the more you audition, the more jobs you get. It's just a numbers game. So it's a case of sticking with it and staying in there. But that shift into freelance was definitely a big a big shock for me. I can only imagine because I've always had a job and I've always have things on the side and things like that. And it's really, it's scary to me to just be like, okay, I'm going to cut the cords and see what happens. I know like, I can't do it because it's just like, you know, I always said, if you could just have like $10,000 in a bank account so that you could just go and do what you want to do and you could still pay your rent for six, seven months and be okay. You know, it's like, but that's really never the case for most people. So um, to take that risk saying, I'm going to do it and be able to stay and sustain yourself. It's amazing. Very much um, so. It's not just about the numbers though. I feel that it's very much a mindset. I, I spoke with somebody the other day who wants to be an audiobook narrator and I asked her why she isn't. She does it on the side at the moment. And she said, uh, I have a corporate job and I don't hate it. And wow. I suddenly realized that you have to be at a certain level of uncomfortable in the situation you're in to change, <laughs> to make that shift. It's hard. Right. It, it is, is hard. You get very comfortable, especially, you know, if you're making good money and like you said, they like the, they like their work. They like what they're doing. Uh, most people, I mean, I think I looked this up. It was like 75, 80% of most people hate their jobs. Oh, they hate what they do <laughs> and they stay because, you know, it's just the conditioning. It's just, I think it's also, like you say, the mindset that they don't think that they can do anything else uh, or they so. have never done anything else. So I think it's really a big change for them. But I always say to people all the time, like change is every day is change. I don't know nothing. Mm -hmm. 
anything else but change. It's like my whole life has been changed. I haven't had that stable life, as people call it. So, um, <laughs> so what type of equipment do you use? It looks like you have a beautiful studio there. I'm, I'm very lucky. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I, I've. This is my fourth booth. So my uh, first booth was a blanket fort. It was the typical, you know, uh, duvet over plastic frame. I bought plastic pipes that they use for plumbing and connected them together in a in a rectangle and then threw duvets over the top and then a um, traveling, um, what are they called? Uh, moving blankets. You know, those really heavy. Oh, yes, the heavy uh, ones. Yeah, over the top of that. And then on the inside, I bought acoustic foam and I sewed the acoustic foam to the duvet uh, on the inside to the quilt. And it was pretty good. The sound was good. And the place I lived was relatively quiet. So I was after acoustic conditioning, not soundproofing, which uh-huh. I was really lucky about. Then I moved house and I built a two walls into the corner of a room and filled wow. them with foam that was acoustically treated and then a second wall again. Uh, and wow. so it was almost like an internal cupboard. And it was right in the middle of the house. So again, oh, wow. the noise wasn't too bad. But this is actually a studio bricks booth. Beautiful. Is, you know, for the purpose. And it's brilliant. You shut the door and you wouldn't know what was going on out there. So, so uh, it's really good. Let me ask you this question because I know I get hot wherever I'm at. <laughs> it's like the heat. It's just crazy. So are you able to have air in there? Because I know the so sound it, with the air and things it like that. It has an AC unit. Really? On, yeah. On, on low. I can run it and it doesn't affect my noise floor. Uh, In the summer, when it gets really hot, I have to stop every 20 minutes or so and open the door and turn it on high. And, you know, wow. So, yeah, there there are very few machines, I think, that will run cool air while you record that won't affect your sound. Uh, So, that's the thing. I tried recording when I first started the book. I recorded in my my walk in closet, you know, because I said, do it in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) But then I'm like, oh my God, I can't take it. It's so hot here. So if someone's looking to start out, what would you suggest for them? And as far as not spending a lot of money, like you said, you know, you need makeshift studio, um, any particular mic or anything, any kind there, of equipment. There are, there are always sort of a $200 package of an interface and a microphone. So you want a, a cardioid mic, um, a large diaphragm for, for vocal um, recording. Um, and for that, you'll need phantom power so you need a little box an interface that will connect it to your computer and give it the power to accept your voice as it were and record um, and you're looking at about two hundred dollars for a basic sort of focus right interface and mic but the people worry a lot about their first microphone and actually getting any microphone is better than not because what you realize is yes the equipment is important but also the technique is important the learning Uh, how long you can go, how many times you have to record, what your noise floor is like, so what the silence in your space sounds like. Um, And you have to train your ear for quite a long time. When I first started, I I did a lot of courses about about silence, which isn't actually silence, it's actually noise. Um, And they would send through like two samples of noise floor, one at minus 40 dB and one at minus 70. And they would say, listen to these two noise floors and tell us what you hear. Like I hear silence and silence, (laughs) you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's that whole thing, isn't it? You don't know what you don't know. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm about action. I'm about taking that first step, even if it's a wrong step that you can fix down the line. You can always fix it down the line, but not taking that step. That's where I was at for 20 years. That idea of I wish I was doing something else, but I'm not or I could be elsewhere, but I'm not. And that's a shame. Not doing it because you can't decide is a is a real tragedy. 
So I think just sure. any any advice you can get. There are so many forums now on Facebook, so many different groups talking about VO, talking about equipment. Uh, I'm on Clubhouse a lot. We have an audiobooks club. Um, oh, and okay. one of our clubs talks about um, equipment. That's all they talk about on a Sunday. It's about microphones and noise floors and people's booths and advice on how to best set up and so on. So that there's everybody's talking about it everywhere. Um, and I think you just need to, you know, take that moment to, because people use it, I think, as an excuse not to step in. You know, I don't know where sure. to start. I don't know how to begin. And it's like, you need to take the reins. You know, this is going to be your baby. And I think that's my, my life um, sort of uh, ideology that I want to pass on is that at 19, I was under the impression that if I was any good, somebody would have discovered me. You know, somebody would have said, oh, you know, I saw the kids from fame. You know, I was watching. The <laughs> That's how it happens. You know, you get discovered and then somebody takes you to L.A. And next thing you know, and that what well, that's not how it happens. Actually, it's actually just really hard work and committing and doing the same thing over and over. And when you start doing it and then you start looking back and you realize how far you've come, it's a real impetus to keep going, because if I'm as much better next year as I am this year compared to last year. I'm going to be doing really well. And sometimes I was worried that I hadn't done 500 books. I wasn't as good as the people who were being interviewed or were being, I was, I was aspiring to, but of course they'd all been doing it for 10 and 20 years and I just started. And so there's that, there's that sense of gap, isn't it? When actually it's about passion, it's about commitment and time that you devote to the thing that you love. And next thing you know, you're actually quite good at it. I love that because like you say, it's taking the first step, whether it's the wrong decision or the right decision, it's making a decision rather than not making a decision to do it because I find that's what stops people. It's yeah. like the fear of making a mistake, the fear of being laughed at, the fear of whatever, you know, we all have these little things and, and especially the, uh, what is it, the ants, they call them, you know, those auto negative yeah. uh, thoughts we have that can really stop us dead in our tracks. And I always say, you know, just do it afraid, you know, just do it and don't think about what can happen. Cause you know, usually when we think about the worst thing that can happen, it never happens. It's just yeah. our minds that are, you know, working overtime on us. Spend me, so much time anticipating stuff, don't exactly. we? And the idea, sorry, what you just said about, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. I'm, I'm more about the, the fear isn't going to go away. So you may as well do it. Exactly. You know, like just it, step in and see what yeah. happens. And, actually, and the more you do it, the better you get. Right? Absolutely. And the fear, fear seems to disappear and it becomes curiosity and excitement and adventure, you know, and yeah. it's like, oh, I won't be doing that again because that doesn't work. And then you do something else instead. You know, it's kind of a, a it, life is trial and error, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Every which way we turn. <laughs> That's for sure. So, OK, so now that you have has something in their hands and they're ready to record something now, what do they have to do? They have to audition. Uh, what would you say is the best thing to do? I know like on ACX, you can uh, join. That's the, for people who don't know, that's that audible um, where you can have your audio books there. People look for narrators there. So you would have to set up an audition and record some pieces so that people can hear what you sound like. So they can. So ACX.com is the uh, audiobook creation exchange. And it's basically a marketplace. It's a marketplace for authors and narrators to get together somehow. And so you create a profile on ACX.com and you put up a couple of demos of you reading passages from any particular genres that your voice fits. So it's really important to know as a narrator who you are so that you know which books you can deliver. 
So I love reading fantasy in my spare time, but I'm not employed to read fantasy. People employ me to read historical fiction, to read nonfiction. I do a lot of steampunk now, which is oh, wow. uh, century Victorian craziness, uh, which is kind of fantasy. So I'm pleased, you know. Um, but, you know, then there's romance, there's horror, there's uh, young adult, there's memoirs, all the nonfiction stuff, all the, all the books about how things work, who people are, what they're up to. There are lots of different spaces in the in the industry. And your voice doesn't do all of those things. And your personality doesn't do all of those things. So once you find out who you are, you get yourself a couple of demos made in the genres that you're looking to promote. And then it's literally a list, a list of authors or rights holders who hold the rights to making the book into an audiobook. Um, they'll put up their books and ask you to audition. The, there are some issues with it because it's a free service. Sometimes the person putting the book up isn't the rights holder. So you have to do some due diligence. You have to go and find the author or find the production house, confirm that they are actually the people who have the rights to do the book before wow. you enter into a contract. But the contract is all online. It's all it's very well organized in as much as the files don't get released until you get paid. There are there are two options. You can do royalty share or per finished hour. So you either get paid for the job itself or you can be paid in royalties after the the book has sold. There are two methods of being paid for the projects. You can be paid per finished hour. It might take you 20 hours to do an eight-hour book. That's assuming you're using punch and roll, which is a form of recording for audiobooks that allows you to finish a day's work and actually be able to send off the files. There's no editing on your part. You're actually sending them off to be proofed and then edited. So Sorry, I need to start at the beginning. The The process is you, you research the book, you prep the book. So you need to know which characters die, which characters are the goodies, which are the baddies, um, whether the author describes their voices in any particular manner so that you adapt that to that accent or to that sound that they have. And then you narrate the book. Once you've narrated the book, it has to be proofed. So somebody has to make sure you said the words that were on the page. We have a tendency when we read... Uh, fluidly to switch sometimes words around. Can't think of any right this minute, but words that it makes the same sense, but it's not what it actually says on the page. And that's what the proofer does. They also check that your pronunciations of any place names or any complicated words are actually correct. A lot of us have read books and think that things are said in a particular way. And actually, that's not how they're pronounced. So you have to have that kind of double checked to make sure it then goes to the editor who then sends you a sample of the bits you got wrong so you can say them again in the same tone of voice so that they can drop them back in. And then it gets mastered and uploaded to, to Audible to sound as good as it can. Um, and so you get paid for the finished hour. So if a book is eight hours long, regardless of how long it took to produce, you get paid for eight hours. Oh, wow. Which people don't realize up front. Oh, so they, they'll often say, you know, oh my goodness, it's you know, $200 wow. a finished hour. You go, yes, but if it takes you six to eight hours to produce one finished hour, wow. then suddenly it's $30 a finished hour, an hour, oh, wow. quite the same at all. So, uh -huh. um, and, and that's when you know what you're doing. That's when you have your setup is good. The quality of your audio is good. All those assumptions are being made about these, these prices that people are supposedly getting paid. The other option is that you do it for free. So you narrate the book, you produce the book, you proof it, you edit it, you master it, you upload it. And then you get 20% of the sales 
Every time a book is sold, you earn 20% of the value of the book, which usually works out at about $2 a time. But of course, the books that are often on ACX are often independently published, which means they have no marketing budget. The author doesn't necessarily know where to go to sell the audiobook. So you might sell two copies, literally. Yes. You might sell 2,000 right. if you're lucky. But you and again, it's just maths. You need to work out how many copies you would have to sell of that book to make your money back. And when you look at the sales of the author's books in print, you can pretty much work out whether the audiobook is going to sell or not. Mm. And so that's it's, very important because, you know, yeah. you could be spending all that time thinking and then not see any money come in. I was wondering about that because I said, well, I guess if it was, you know, uh, one of those famous authors, it'd be great, you know, because they're selling millions of books. But if it's somebody like me who has first time author, I, you know, I'm not selling 2000 copies. So, so also uh, you'll find that the famous authors aren't going through ACX.com. So mm. the, big, the big production houses, Hachette, uh, Harper, uh -huh. um, Blackstone, uh, Penguin Random House, they all produce their audiobooks in-house. They're not using ACX.com. And so they have a roster of narrators that they use to produce those books, whether, you know, it's Stephen Fry or um, Morgan Freeman or me. Ooh. It's it's uh, people they already know that they know that the quality of their sound is good. They know they can produce 10 hours of audio in a certain amount of time. So they're going to hit deadlines. It's all those sorts of things are being taken into account as well. And then you are being paid per finished hour because they know they're going to sell thousands of audio books mm. and they don't want you. <laughs> to part of their royalty. <laughs> That's right. They want it for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Well, I think if anyone out there is interested in becoming an, uh, a narrator or voiceover work, definitely listen to Anna, check it out, try doing something that even if you just take, um, oh, what's the best place for them to maybe find books? I know that there's copyright issues and things like that. Is it public domain that they could go look at books that they could so, record off of? So you can read public domain books. There's a, a website, uh, the name of which is going to escape me for a second. You know, it's escaping me. I, I will find out and give it to you so you can put it in the show notes perhaps, because I'm not going to remember. But the to create a demo, you don't actually have to use a public domain book. So long as you're not making any money from the demo that you're using, uh, it's called fair use. So if you find yeah. a book that's particularly good and a passage that may last maybe a minute and a half to two minutes that actually tells an entire story, so something dramatic happens and perhaps leaves the listener on a cliffhanger, that's always a good call within your demo to have it not just to be a page of a book, but an actual part of the story where something happens so that people actually want to listen to your demo. Um, so that's always a good idea. So you can use anything, to be honest. Uh, but the public oh, wow. domain books uh, are uh, Gutenberg. It's called Gutenberg. Um, yes, that's it. I couldn't think of that sorry, either. I couldn't, I couldn't think of it. Um, that's where the list of public domain books are, um, which you can also produce yourself. So because they're public domain, there are no rights holders anymore. So you oh. don't have to have permission from anyone. So you can produce a public domain book and then go oh, to somewhere yeah. like uh, Spoken Realms or ACX and actually upload the files and create that book yourself. The whole thing is a learning process and it takes a little longer than people think. There's a real dedication to the craft. For sure. The, not necessarily considered. <laughs> Definitely. I remember back in the 80s, I'm dating myself here, I was doing some theater and I was a dancer in theater and things like that. And you know, I was also doing some modeling work. I'm like, what else can I do to try to make some extra money? And then, 
you know, voiceovers was there. And I was like, oh, that would be awesome. But it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to go into a studio. You had to rent it. You had to do this, 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 and this. It would have cost me thousands of dollars to get a demo reel done. And, uh, you know, I didn't have that. So I just never did it. And today we have these home studios, you know, at our fingertips. That is just so amazing. That's why even with podcasting, I love the fact that I can just, you know, turn on the mic. Although this morning I had trouble getting you on, but hey, it just, it's the way it goes. But it's just amazing what we can do today that we couldn't do 25 years ago or 30 years ago. So the other question I had is, what would you say that they should like go take classes on? Like, is it vocal lessons as singing or is it is there something that's more in tune to actually to doing voice there's several things i always recommend so there's a, a youtube video by a coach called sean pratt called so you want to be an audiobook narrator and his suggestion is that you literally sit yourself in a cupboard for two hours every day and read if that's something that you feel you could do personality wise because it's a really solitary life you know, we talk to people once in a while, we go to conferences, but mostly, most days, I'm in here for four to six hours by myself, just reading. Um, wow. And it's a, it's a really solitary life. There's no um, interaction. There's nobody to feed off of. But I get to be all the characters. I get to play everybody oh, cool. in the book. <laughs> I love it's that. It's very cool. It really is. Um, <laughs> there's also um, the narratorsroadmap.com is basically a, a major piece of um, amazingness that Karen Commons has put together. It's a website to do with everything to do with audiobooks, everything to do with narration, whether it's blogs about um, how to get started or what to do with, you know, microphones and sound systems and how best to, how to choose a coach, which books to take, how not to get duped on ACX.com, all sorts of information. They're really worthwhile. Um, The other thing I always recommend is podcasts like yours, where people are giving away loads of information for free with regards to the creative life, you know, whether you're listening to famous narrators that are being interviewed or casting directors who are being interviewed, everybody wants to be out on podcasts and people are just talking. And if you can on your, you know, morning walk or your commute or whatever, listening to all that stuff, it's all free. I'm I'm big on the free um, because I think people spend a lot of money sometimes in the wrong places. I talk again to lots of people who are with coaches they don't like who Mm. make them feel small. And when Mm. they finish their lesson, they feel worse than they did when they started. And I say, why are you still coaching with them? (laughs) And they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you got to go. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, because it's definitely going to mess them up in their mind. Uh, They're saying, yeah, they're not going to want to pursue what they're doing. And that's horrible. I can't handle coaches like that. No, (laughs) no. You want to lift them up, not bring them down. Very much so. And I think people are just under the impression they're not in control. They're not in control of their own lives or what happens to them. And actually we are, but we have to take hold. We have to, you know, claim it almost. Um, And it took me too long. And that's why I'm going around telling everybody, you know, if but you, you know, to- you did it though, you know, even yeah. if it took too long, it's still that you still did it and you're doing it. And so, you know, I always say it doesn't matter when you start, as long as you start. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you, if you wasted the time, you wasted the time. Um, you know, uh, I have uh, a, a boyfriend of mine who w- was writing songs and then he like stopped for 10 years. 
And when we met, I was like, dude, you know, they're really good. Like, why are you stop? Why did you stop? And again, it was, you know, a fear. It was insecurity. It was all these different things. And so I kind of pushed him and nudged him to start writing again. And then, you know, he's recorded Mm -hmm. an album and he's done, you know, he does a lot of live shows and things like that. And he's so excited because he's like, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have pushed it. And I said, well, you know, you have to. It's like, it's our calling. It's, we're all born with something to do. And there may be multiple things that we're born to do. And it may not just be one thing, but it could be a timing situation. The Mm -hmm. time is not right. Um, I remember when I was making like uh, these floral handbags and uh, I would made them for a couple of years and like they weren't selling. And then three years later, you know, I'm getting like 13 orders in one week. And I was like, (laughs) whoa, okay. So, you know, timing sometimes plays a factor with a lot of different things. And I think that we really have to stay strong. That's why I'm always like, you know, make your list every day of your top three things that you want to do, because if you don't have it written down and you don't see it in front of you every day, I think that we just, you know, it's just going to go right over our heads. We're not going to do it. The time passes anyway, doesn't it? Exactly. You may as well be having fun, you know, right? something you love. It's, it's really worth investing in you and in it, you know, it's, it's yeah, definitely And worthwhile. even if you don't do it for money's sake, you're just doing yeah. it for a hobby, for fun. Cause you know, I always say, you know, turn the hobby into a jobby as my friend Hilda would say, <laughs> and you know, you got to start somewhere. And if you feel like if you just do it as a hobby, then the pressure's off. Then you could just say, oh yeah, okay, let's give it yeah. a try and see what, it, see where it goes. And then, you know, three years from now, you just may have... A business started or a part-time business started. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your pearls of wisdom. That was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And so how, uh, are you on social media? Do you do a lot yes, of marketing yeah, on I'm, social? I'm Anna Clements everywhere. So it's Anna with one N because I'm Spanish and uh, Anna Clements on Instagram, Anna Clements on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook very much, but Twitter, Instagram mostly and all over Clubhouse. Um, I do a lot of, of uh, Clubhouse talking just because I like to talk. My my strap line is I'm Spanish by birth, British by nature, bilingual. So twice as much to say. <laughs> I, love I do. I can I can talk the hind legs off a donkey, as they say. So. <laughs> I never heard that before. <laughs> so what part of the uh, UK are you in? Near London, so just outside London. Oh, I love it. I was I have... brought up, but my parents are Spanish. So uh, I do a lot of um, Spanish books too. And uh, I, I get um, yeah. employed a lot actually to do English with a Spanish accent. Um, that seems really? to be because I speak English fluently and Spanish fluently, I can wow. add accent or take off accent. So if people want a lot of uh, foreignness or less uh, I can add it in or take it out. So that seems to be where right now that's where the market's at. So that's um, amazing. It's <laughs> great. So um, it's funny because when I remember when I was in London, the first time it was like 86, I think it was. And I was in Hyde Park and we met these two gentlemen who were, um, they were like Rastafarians, but they had an English accent. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> I was like, this is the first, you know, so uh, <laughs> becoming such a global world. And even, you know, I'm chatting with you and we're across the world from each other. And it's as if we're next door, you know, it's a really it. thing. We're in a really strange time now where everybody is just, and, and it's such a nice thing to be able to see so many faces and so many voices 
getting together and enjoying each other. You know, I do a lot of um, uh, group work as well, you know, whether it's uh, interpreting text on online for theatre companies that are trying out oh, different wow. things or um, it's just lovely to be able to be involved. And again, I was doing it before the pandemic, but the pandemic has meant that everybody has kind of cottoned on to the whole Zoom, you know, yeah. lifestyle, as it were, because we have to, you know, we have to connect with each other still. And it's just been really nice to connect with so many more people. For sure. I love it. We get to meet all these amazing people that we would have never been able to have had a chance to meet them if uh, if we didn't. And we met through the Hindenburg. Do you use Hindenburg? We do. Yeah, I, I don't, unfortunately, no, but it was really yeah. good of them to put on that conference the other it day. Was. It, it was. It was really good. There. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, see, I'm glad I was there. Just yeah. like, I just found... Um, you know, people who do this type of work to really be interesting. I actually worked for Penguin Books back in 94. I'm, I'm from New York originally. And uh, this lady, <laughs> I'm going to share a story here. I was doing licensing for, you know, rights and stuff like that, because that's what my background was. I was in music publishing for a while with, with that. And so this lady was like, she was much older and they were like three years behind <laughs> with their licensing the stacks were like this so i'm the type of person where i see that and i'm just like okay go 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 go, go. <laughs> so i was just like going down to the library pulling like 50 books at a time getting these licenses out and she couldn't handle it she was just like oh don marie you're going too fast i doubt it out i'm like well we're three years behind <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. this is why i'm here you know and she fired me on Christmas Eve. Oh, <laughs> I was just like, wow. I said so much for, you know, trying to do a good job and get it oh, done. Yeah. And you work too fast, you get fired. So, you know, it's just, you That's know. That's why you have to work does. for yourself. It's the freelance. That's life. true. <laughs> That's true. I've been thinking about that for a long time. <laughs> so. But um, but thank you again for everything. I really appreciate your time. And I hope that uh, we get a chance to meet one day when I go yes. visit my friends in the UK. We can go out and have a bite to eat. And, that would be uh, lovely. I'm usually in America. Studio. I'm usually in America twice a year. But of course, at the moment, I'm not allowed in. So it's Do you go a to New York or? Uh, one, one to New York and one to Boston. Um, Boston. Yeah, March. I love Boston. Yeah. Nice. But, do you do conferences or something? When you yes. Go so in, in New York in March is the Audiobook Publishers Association Conference, APAC. That's based in New York the first week of March. Is and that at the Javits Center? Or? It used to be this year. It, well, next year it's not going to be. And they haven't announced where it is yet, but it's usually at the Javits with Book Expo. Um, uh -huh. But this year they've, they've moved it into March. So it's, hmm. I'm not sure where it's occurring, but it literally sort of five or 800 narrators just turn up and congregate. Wow. So that's really got to be awesome yeah <laughs> sounds like fun Absolutely. maybe i'll have to go see my family and make a trip for myself definitely. and check that out great but yeah call? definitely stay in touch <laughs> so there if you go let me know and um, excellent and if you're ever in the tampa florida area please let me know for thank sure thank you very much <laughs> uh, thank you that's but have fun. a great rest yeah. of your week and uh, stay safe out there lovely thank you so much for having me on thank you, <laughs> see you soon. bye bye, <laughs> bye, -bye. bye. And the party doesn't end here at the podcast. You know, the party just gets started over at our Facebook group. And if you haven't already joined us, please go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash little drummer girl. That's L-I-L drummer girl. And you can meet like-minded folks like you, whether you're just beginning or you're a seasoned professional musician, artist, or an entrepreneur. We all groove together. And remember 
It's never too late to live the life of your dreams and leave a trailblazing behind you. So rock on and rock out and I'll catch you on the flip side. 